0: At the time when I was in high school, I was not a Christian, and uh, providentially, God allowed me to meet a friend in class, and uh, this friend was a Christian. And when we started being found together, and I was watching his life, I was shocked by the way he was dedicated or committed to Christ. This friend of mine could time and again, especially during break, be found studying the Bible. I could see him going for Christian fellowships that were there at school to worship God. At times we would be together playing soccer and somebody would intentionally kick him And his response was not insults like most of us at that particular moment. He would graciously talk to this person. So that used to get to my heart. What kind of a person is this? Why is he different from me and the rest of us? So I began to inquire until... I discovered that he was a Christian and he began to encourage me to go with him to, uh, to, to church. Later on, I was exposed to the gospel and came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior through this friend. You know, one thing that we must know is that because of the fall of man, we are all bound to think this world that we live in is all there is. And yet those who have come to know Christ Jesus, they have a hope beyond this life. And because of that, they live in a different way than we do. They know that while they are here on earth, God has left them here after they are saved for a purpose. And if Christ tarries, they will die. And yet they have have hope that they will live with Christ forever. So, it's very important to observe those differences. That those who have come to know Christ, they have a hope. And they live in a different way than those who do not have hope. In Christ Jesus. So in today's sermon, I have two objectives or goals. The first one, I want to encourage those of us this morning who are Christians. I want us to be encouraged that we have passed from death to life. We have passed from spiritual death to life, all because At one point or another, we heard the gospel that we are sinners, and Christ died for our sins. And by God's grace, God opened our eyes, and we saw our sinfulness and our need for the Savior. And we called upon the name of Christ Jesus. And today we are Christians, living differently from the way we used to live before we came to know Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage you that indeed you are victory over death because Christ overcame death. And yet you are here, still alive, living in this wicked world. Why has God allowed you to remain alive after you received Jesus Christ? There is a purpose. There is something that you need to be doing until that time. So be encouraged, and today you are going to know that purpose. You are going to know that responsibility, the things that you are ought to be doing. We ought to be doing as we wait for Christ to return the second time, or as we wait to die and cross over to be in the presence of our Lord forever. Then secondly, I want to encourage those of us who could be here Probably we are interested in religion, and yet we have not received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We have not gotten into a spiritual relationship with Jesus as our Savior. I want to encourage you that as long as you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you do not have victory over death. If you died today... The verdict is that you live in uh, eternal domination forever. So both Christians and non-Christians, we will live forever. But we will live, we will live forever in different places. Those who have come to know Christ Jesus will live in eternal bliss, in paradise, in the presence of God, forever. And those who have not come to know Christ Jesus in domination, in hell, forever, away from the presence of God. And the fact that you are alive, you have a privilege, you have a chance of coming to know this Christ Jesus and live with him forever. So let's go to our text. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. The writer of this book is Paul the Apostle. And uh, the occasion of his writing is that he was visited by a Christian family, the Chloe family. And uh, they began to tell him about this Corinthian church that he had planted, about the difficulties that the church was going through. And uh, uh, a lot of questions were raised And and Paul now pens this book of 1 Corinthians to actually answer some of those questions and send it back to the Corinthians. So the theme of the book is that uh, we need to show integrity and morality as we live here on earth as Christians. Because as Christians, we are expected to be the light of the world and the sort of the world. If people who are not Christians struggle to know who God is, they should see that in us. How we live. We should live differently from those who are not saved. We should adorn the gospel in short. If people cannot take the Bible and read the gospel, when they have the opportunity to live with a Christian, they should be able to see what the power of the gospel is able to do in a life. And begin to be drawn or begin to desire to know Christ Jesus. So, the purpose of uh, the book of 1 Corinthians is to answer Many questions, but particularly in our in our in our text, especially verse fifteen twelve, tells us gives, us gives us a a glimpse. It says, "Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some, not all of them, some of you, say that there is no resurrection of the dead?" So these were Christians. When they were getting saved, they came to believe beyond any manner of doubt that Jesus died for their sins. And he was buried and rose again on the third day as the only way for them to be saved. And then they received Jesus by faith alone. And they begin to walk in that path. But all of a sudden, probably because of the hardship of life, they begin to doubt the resurrection. They begin to doubt if if at all we will be resurrected, with what form of a body. They begin to doubt all these things, and Paul is writing to answer those things uh, to these Christians. So in verse 58, which is our text, verse 58, it says, Therefore, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable or a always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So he's concluding this chapter. And he tells them this. So for those who want to write something, my message today is capped in this sentence. Believers should be devoted, should be committed, should be steadfast in their labor for the Lord. As we wait to meet our master, when he retains again, or when he calls us before he retains, what should we be doing? Our duty is to be committed. Our duty is to be devoted. Our duty is to be steadfast in our labor. Whatever God has called us to do, we have to be steadfast in that. And I've entitled it, The Great exhortation. This is the great encouragement that every believer can get while they are here on earth for a short period of time that we ought to be steadfast, committed to whatever God has called us to do. When you look at our text, it starts With the the word therefore. Or some versions would say so then. And immediately that throws us back up in the chapter. Because it's telling us that there is something that Paul has been saying. And based on those things that Paul has said. He wants us to be committed, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. But what are those things? Let's go back to verse 50. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 through to 57, the Bible says, I tell you this, brothers, or brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass. The saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the hope. Paul is telling them to say, you, you know you are victory over death because Jesus overcame. He has overcome death. So don't worry about where you are going. Oh, if I die, what will happen? If you are a Christian, because you are in Christ, that victory which Christ won on the cross, That victory which Christ won when he rose from the dead, victorious. He is also your victory. So don't worry about the future. Worry about why he has left you behind after you got saved. And it's because there are Responsibilities. There is work that you need to do for his glory. You need to make his fame known by the way you live. Will people see the light of Christ in you? Will people see Christ in your life? And, and, and you know, many times we can give excuses and say, no, I can only do that if I am a pastor. A person who stands in front and opens the scriptures and share them. No! In whatever station God has placed you in, you might be an engineer, you might be a doctor, you might be a teacher. As long as you are a Christian and you are living, you are aware of this duty, you will still glorify God. You will still glorify God. So he says, therefore, or then, because he's basing that On the victory that Jesus has won for us. Because of what he has done. That should cause us to live in a certain way. He does not only say that in the introduction. He actually uses a very affectionate phrase. He says, my beloved brothers and sisters. or my beloved brothers. That is very affectionate is recognizing that as Christians, we might come from different continents, we might come from different professions, but because we are in Christ, we are one in Christ, we have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are one. We belong to one spiritual family. We have one God. We have one baptism. We, We... we are one in Christ Jesus. And you know, as Paul is about to say these things, up there from the, I mean, the, the, old, the, 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 the old book of Corinthians, he has been rebuking this church about you know, uh, their wrong theology, their misandering of spiritual gifts, you know, to to, to compete among themselves to think, oh, no, me, I'm very powerful than Pastor Tim. I'm very powerful than that deacon. I can do instruments better than... There was that, and he has rebuked them about all those things. But as he is giving them the final encouragement, he calls them my beloved brothers. I still love you. We still belong to the same family. We still have the same God. So even as I tell you these things, don't take it like I I hate you. I'm rebuking you. No, I'm encouraging you. I want you to live in such a way that God will be glorified and the gospel will spread and men will come to Christ. I want you to to focus your eyes on the right thing, doing the right thing as you wait for Christ Jesus. Because you have victory in Christ Jesus. You have victory over death. So that's what he's he's doing. So after he opens with uh, these affectionate, you know, statements, in fact, in, in just chapter 15, he calls them, my, my brothers or beloved brothers, three times. In, 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 in chapter 15, verse 1, he says, now I would remind you, brothers. Then also in verse 50, he says, I tell you these brothers. So he's emphasizing to say we belong to one God. We are one in Christ. So when a brother or sister comes around me and rebukes me for the things that I'm not doing right, I should take that graciously. Because they are doing that because they love me. We are one in Christ, Jesus. Together we must shine for Christ. I don't know, even you, you have weaknesses. Yes, we all have weaknesses. But God puts us in a community like this so that the sinfulness of my heart will be exposed to you. And when God gives you the grace to see the weaknesses in me, you must come alongside and graciously walk with me. Help me overcome so that I may shine brighter for Christ. The same happens as we associate together in a community. We are real, we are authentic, we are eating together and stuff like that. And I see something wrong in you. I'll come close to you and point at that graciously. Not that I make you feel you are the waste sinner. No, I want you to grow in that area and shine brighter for Christ. Adorn the gospel even more. So that's what Paul is kind of doing. So when he establishes the fact that, you know, we are one in Christ, I love you, and you must love me, uh, but now I want to tell you this. Then he actually tells them, uh, he continues, he gives them actually two ways in which they can continue, you know, being true to the gospel, adorning the gospel of Christ Jesus. And the first one, it's the appeal. The appeal. So verse 58b, it says, be steadfast and immovable. So this is an appeal. It's an agent order that is given to them. But it is an imperative. It's a command. It's not something that you would say, ah, well, you know I'm a Christian, but I can choose whether to be steadfast or not. God, I mean, Paul is saying, be. Be steadfast and immovable. You have no option as a Christian. And by saying this, Paul is simply saying, you know, be firm. Don't let anything move you from the gospel that you heard from me, and believed. That's why, when we go back to chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, hear what Paul told them. He says, Now I would like to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, of course by faith, in which you stand. And verse 2 he says, And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he's saying, you know, I'm very convinced that you are Christians. Because the first time I came to you, I brought the gospel. And of course, in verse 3 to 7, it tells them that gospel. I brought the gospel to you that Jesus died for your sins. And the proof that he died for your sins, he was buried. And he rose from the dead. And the proof that Jesus rose from the dead, he was seen by Peter, over 500 at once, and many people saw him. So this is the gospel that caused you to be saved. And when you got saved, your lives have been changing. You have m- been making an impact for the gospel. But as I am closing this, I want to encourage you to say, you have to hold fast to this. Don't allow any situation. It might be sickness. It might be, you know, being, uh, being spoken against by other people in a wrong way. It might be losing a job, whatever persecution, false teaching that might come your way. Do not let go of the gospel. Stand firm. Do not be removed because it's very possible. You know, it has been sad as a pastor to watch some of the folks in church who at once held so close to the gospel. They seemed to be steadfast, immovable. But then sickness comes and it tarries, probably out of fear of death. They actually leave the church and go to the charismatic to be prayed for, hoping that they will receive a miracle and be healed from that ailment. And they never return and die there. It's sad. And yet the Bible teaches us that we have victory over death. To us as Christians, death is not the end. It's an access to go to a better life. To go in the presence of my master. Where I'll be able to worship him in perfection. And I should look forward to that. Because I've crossed... From death to life. So it's no death for me to die. It's gain, like Paul says, because I'm going to a better place. But I would want to remain because when I am among people, I need this body to be able to stand here and preach the word of God. So as long as God gives me that longevity of life, I would rejoice and I will use it faithfully to preach the gospel. But if God says, come, I would gladly go. You know? So that's what he's saying. He's saying, you stand fast. Don't allow anything to remove you from the gospel. And you, they might be asking, how can I stand fast and immovable? And Paul continues to tell them, he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. If you are going to continue standing and doing what God requires you to do before He calls you to glory, calls you home, you must be a person who is always, not sometimes, a Christian. When all is okay, no sickness in your family, you have all the money that you have. You love Jesus. You are coming to church on time. You are involved in the ministries. But lo and behold, when sicknesses grip your family or grip you or you lose a job, you stop being seen at church. That's not always. It says always abounding. And that word abounding, it means... Always overflowing. You know? Always overflowing. And that's why he continues qualifying it. In what? In the wake of the Lord. Whatever you do. You know, as a Christian, that's why a Christian, there is nothing like, if I'm a teacher, I would say, no, teaching is not, you know, it's just work and stuff like that. God expects me to save him to work as a teacher differently. At Central Africa Baptist University, one of the, the, the programs that we have is, 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 is uh, primary teachers. We, we teach primary teachers. We train them. And we train them to go out there and work as missionaries. In Zambia, those people who work for the government, even some believers... Because the salary is, is intact, whether you are, you are going to, 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 you are reporting for work or not, the salary will come 100% the way it's supposed to be. So you'd find that most of the people, they are not diligent. They would go for work today, tomorrow, they are not there, giving excuses. Even Christians. But we teach them that you have to be different. If you are supposed to be there 8 a.m., be there 8 a.m., and knock off the time when you are supposed to knock off. Because you are not only saving the government, but you are also saving your maker, God. You have a double salary. You are getting the dollars from the government, but depending on how faithful you are saving, God, when you appear before God one day, you will say, welcome, my good and faithful servant. You are faithful in little, and I'm going to entrust you with more. So he encouraged them that. So he says you have to be abounding, abounding. And it's interesting that this, this participle is, is actually qualifying the verb be. So be steadfast and immovable. Continue being like that. And be abounding. Always abounding. Abounding in what? he says, in the work of the Lord. In any task or work or whatever you do for the Lord. As a Christian. You have to be abounding, overflowing. Do it to the best of your ability. And then you, say, you, can, you can ask to say, Why should I be abounding, overflowing? If a manasha must do it out of love for people, but above all, out of love for God. I'm ushering not because uh, of anything, I'm ushering because I love God and I love His people. So I'll do it from the bottom of my heart. Why? Because I am a Christian and I know that Christ has won the victory, I know my destiny is safe, but he has left me here for the purpose of saving. So I am going to save him. If I'm gifted in the area of encouraging brothers, I'm going to do that. If I'm gifted in the area of teaching, I'm going to do that. If I'm gifted in the area of hospitality, I'm going to do that from the bottom of my heart. Whether you say thank you or not, because I am doing it to God. I am doing it because I love you. So, that's how we should be abounding. You know, I love the hymn by the hymn li- writer Richard uh, Gillard, who wrote in uh, 1976 a hymn called, uh, uh, A Servant Hymn. And this hymn just, 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 just encourages me. And it should be a hymn that should be pushing us as Christians. He said things like this. Brothers, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. And the chorus goes, we are pilgrims on a journey. We are a family of brothers on the road. We are here to help each other walk the mile and bear the Lord. I will hold the Christ's light for you. In the night time of your your fear, I will hold my hand out to you. Speak the peace you long to hear. I will weep when you are weeping. When you laugh, I will laugh with you. I will share your joy and sorrow till we have seen this journey through. And when we sing to God in heaven, we shall find such harmony. Born of all we have known together of Christ's love and agony. And he closes, brother or sister, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant. Christianity is a community. We need one another. We grow in a community like this. We spur one another to faith and good work in a community like this. And that's how God has created us. That's why God has left us here on earth. So that those who are faltering in church, some of our, our, our friends, they are, you, you, you are not seeing them in their service for the past two weeks. The pastor should not call you to go and visit them. You should gravitate to them and go to the brother and say, brother what is happening? My sister, what is happening? No, I feel it's the end of the world. I just lost my my job. Open the scriptures and encourage them from the word of God. Pray together because tomorrow it will be you. You might be sick and they will come alongside. Pray with you. Encourage you until we cross over into the presence of God. So he says, you must not allow anything to distract you from the, the gospel, the faith that you have believed. And you should do that by abounding in the work of God. And that is the appeal that God was making through Paul to the Corinthians and God is making to you through his way this morning. The second and last point he does not just give them an appeal, which is a command, but it gives them the basis. Why am I saying this? On what basis, on what ground, what right do I have as Paul to encourage you that because of the victory that Christ Jesus has won for you, which is future, though it is affecting you now, I am commanding you to be immovable. I am commanding you To stand fast. And that combination of those two participles makes it strong to say never allow. Or it should be impossible for you that you should be taken away from the gospel by anything. And the way you should do that, you should keep on abounding in whatever God has has called you to do. But he says the basis for that is this in verse 58c. He says, because... Or because you know that your labor, in who? In the Lord, is not in vain. You know. It's not something that we can doubt. It's something that we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. It was never in vain for Jesus when he came down from heaven to earth and suffered for your sins and my sins, and ascended to that rugged cross, and died a shameful death, a man who never sinned, who never committed sin. Why? Because he he had taken your sins and my sins on his back, and God poured his wrath on him. And he died, paying the penalty for your sins. And my sins. So that if we could trust in his work and in his person, we would be saved. And when all was saved and he ascended back, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 to 11, that God gave him a name that is above every name. That every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and confess that Jesus is God. For the glory of God, he rewarded him. God the Father rewarded the Son. That is the greatest example that we can get to encourage us. So even as we labor for the Lord, some of us, God has given us giftings that are not public. You intercede for the pastor. You pray for the church. And the church is growing and blossoming. And everyone thinks probably it's because the pastor is powerful. And yet God who sees what you do in the closet. That work, that labor for the Lord is never in vain. Because one day he will reward you. He will reward you. So he says on the basis Of the fact that you know that your toil, the word actually used there, your labor or your toil in the Lord is of eternal value. Yes, you toil, probably to the point of exhaustion. I remember yesterday there were a lot of, I mean, people bringing food and and saving and all that. You, You can get tired. Probably this morning as you are waking up, I feel tired. Probably you struggled to come, but I want to encourage you that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. I like teaching kids. I like teaching Sunday school, and at times it's not fun to be with these little ones and teach them. They can make you feel tired at the end of the day, but be encouraged that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Playing instruments. I've tried to learn to play the, the guitar. So when it gets starts paining here and they like that. I wonder those of you who play instruments during this church service, a lot of time gets goes into practicing and preparing for the sermon. Whatever you do. But I want to encourage you that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. Do it well. Do it well. Don't give up. Because Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 tells us that we are not like those who give up. But we hold fast. We hold fast to our profession. Knowing that God who has promised all these promises he is faithful. He is faithful. We might be unfaithful time and again but our God is faithful. So as we draw to the close, how does my toil to the point of weariness or exhaustion look like? The only example, or the best example, of course, is Jesus. But when we go to Matthew 5, verse 13, to 14 and 16, we are told that we are ought to be the salt and the light of the world. And how are we the salt and the light of the world? As we live as Christians in our communities, we are living as people who trust Christ. And people who are seeing us, they are seeing a difference in our lives. They are seeing Christ in us. They are seeing our labor for the Lord without complaining. And they are saying, what kind of people are these? So, well, it is when we save God through saving others with the right motive and conviction that I'm not doing it. This person I'm saving is not the end in it. I'm saving God through these people. That motivates you. So even when you get tired, you are motivated. True faith in God produces good works. Not that good works saves us. But when you are truly saved, there will be good works. Because all of a sudden, you never liked to save people, all of a sudden, because you have the love of Christ in your life, unconditional love, you love people, even unlovable people, you get alongside with them because you know that God has forgiven you, you so much, and so you, you, you love them that way. So whatever we do with the right motive to glorify God and for the good of humanity is never in vain. God is seen. It is never wasted because the God who sees our motives can reward us accordingly both in this life and in the life to come. Every good work we do For the glory of God counts for the kingdom of God. And you know, it's just a matter of time. Jesus is coming. And he's coming to reward us for everything that we have done with the right motive for his glory. I can think of Revelations chapter 22, verse 12 and 13. The Bible says, Behold, I am coming soon. This is Jesus bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Even Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 to 12, tells us the same. It says, And let us not grow weary, Of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, or therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do well to everyone, and especially to those who are of the house of faith. If you cannot save the brothers and sisters at church, Do you tell me that you will save somebody at the place of work? It's impossible. So, as I close, to you who are believers, I want to tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, know that you have victory over death in Christ, and may that cause you to keep on holding to the gospel and to abound. And those of you who are not saved, Know that Jesus died for your sins and rose again as the only way to salvation. Today, you can go to him and ask him for forgiveness, and he will receive you. He will save you, and you have hope. And that will change the way you live until you go to glory. Shall we go to the Lord in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word that as Christians we have hope even in this wicked world where there are all sorts of evil going on because Christ overcame death. And so, Lord, you command us to be people who are faithful to the gospel and to the giftings that you have given to us, starting from the local church and outside, that, Lord, we may be part of the spread of the gospel and be used of you in our lives and in the lives of others. And when Christ Jesus returns and we appear before him, he will say, welcome, good and faithful servants." So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to know that we are victory in Christ Jesus and that should change the way we live in the present time. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.